It's a great day to be saved, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Don't let that ever grow old. And uh, great to be with you. What a, what an honor. What a privilege. Thank you for uh, everyone that, that hosted us and took really good care. I really appreciate that, all of the goodies and treats that were left in the room for us. And um, just to be back. And I, I thank the Lord for this place all the time. I love Fairhaven Baptist Church. I love Fairhaven Baptist Academy. Um, all the good memories. I love Fairhaven Baptist College. God used this place in a special way. I met my wife uh, here at this college, and I thank the Lord all the time for that blessing. And uh, she's with me here, uh, Anna, over there. And uh, Lord, uh, we've been heirs together of the grace of life. And I and I thank the Lord for that. So good to see, uh, reconnect with friends, as Brother Schrock said. And uh, I was just up here thinking, man, I haven't been this nervous since I stood outside Principal Olson's office when I was in high school. <laughs> my, my palms are starting to sweat. And I thought, wow, you know, I you know, haven't been this nervous since I got in trouble one or two times, uh, maybe more. Uh, throughout my, my time. But let's turn to the Divine Library this morning, the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, uh, eventually we'll make our way to chapter 4, but we'll start in Zechariah chapter number 1. And I trust that uh, the Lord will take this sermon and make it a message to the hearts of His people. Uh, love missions, what a theme. It seems like a theme here already. Good to have some missionaries. Uh, we have some folks from our church at this very moment down in Mexico City, Mexico, on a missions trip with Brother Clint Reardon. is uh, a dear, dear friend of mine. And uh, excited about that. Excited about our church being involved in missions. Brother Schrock mentioned uh, Alan, my son, and I were able to go over to India uh, just a couple months ago and just to see what God is doing. Um, and uh, the Lord is still at work. Amen. And I'm excited about what's going on here and your surrender to do the work of God. And I trust that you'll stay the course. I trust that you'll uh, live for the Lord and walk with Him and, and serve Him and work for Him and keep that zeal and that passion and uh, uh, for, for the Lord. So Zechariah chapter number 1, if you begin reading here with me in verses 14 and 15, we're going to kind of make our way through the beginning chapters of Zechariah. And uh, I'd like to preach a message here to you and share some thoughts out of this book. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies, my house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall, stretch, uh, shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. It turn over to Zechariah chapter number 4 now, if you would. And uh, just read a few verses here uh, out of Zechariah chapter number 4. Look at verse number 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace, unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? They shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro 
through the whole earth. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer, if you would, this morning. Father, we do ask that you would meet with us. God, I pray that our hearts would be inclined to hear from you. Uh, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be our guide and teacher, and that you would stir us up, Lord, that you would rekindle uh, a fire in our hearts and, and, a, and a zeal and a desire, Lord, for you and for your work, to love you. Lord, I pray that uh, you would give me the words to say that I wouldn't say anything here uh, that is uh, not in accordance with your word. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would just do the work that only you can do. Lord, there's some here tonight that need to be, or this morning, that need to be convicted. And Lord, some need encouraged. Some need, uh, uh, Lord, to see you. I know all of us do, God, and I pray uh, that that would happen in this chapel hour. And I ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the message is... uh, that I have for you is short. We're going to get to that at the end. Hopefully, I'll leave myself enough time to get to the message. (laughs) Uh, But what I'd like to do as I start off here is just to kind of give you the setting, all right? It's very important that you, when you study the Word of God, that you look at the context, that you know the historical, grammatical uh, context behind what's going on here. And so, I want to tell you a little bit about the history here uh, in Zechariah. The children of Israel have been allowed to return back into the land of promise after 70 years of captivity. Uh, in Babylon, all right? So God had many years before this had called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and he had blessed him and he had made him to prosper and he had preserved Abraham and his descendants uh, generation after generation after generation. And throughout that time, we know Israel's history was one of uh, a great roller coaster, if you would. There were, there were times of great victory, like when they went with Joshua into the land of promise and conquered and, and uh, there were also times of great uh, spiritual uh, decline, like during the time of the judges. They knew uh, a great triumph under King David. And, uh, of course, a pinnacle, you might say, of prosperity uh, and blessing under King Solomon. But then shortly after that, the kingdom split, and we begin to see that the both uh, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom just, just gradually declined. So sometimes not even gradually. I think the northern kingdom just kind of just fell off the table from the very beginning. Uh, and they, and they began to disobey God, and they began to rebel against God, and they, they lost sight of God's purpose for them as the people of God. That's really what happened, all right? Uh, they lost uh, sight of the fact that they were God's chosen people, and, that God, they, and, and the mercy and the grace of God and the wonderful blessings that God had bestowed upon them. And, the re, and then the result of that, the symptom of that was in their disobedience and their failure to follow God and their, and their, and their uh, uh, chasing after idols and, and on and on. And, and eventually led to God sending judgment on the nation of Israel. Okay. The Assyrians came in and destroyed the northern kingdom. And about 100 years later, uh, the Babylonians came in and destroyed the southern kingdom. And, and for 70 years, they've been in exile. And now it was time for them to return. God had supernaturally worked in the heart of, of Cyrus as Isaiah the prophet prophesied of uh, 200 years before he lived. I mean, amazing stuff when you see this. And, uh, and so it's now time for them to come back, come back to the land that God had led Abraham to all those years prior to that. Come back to the place of victory and, and the purpose that God had for the nation of Israel. And the people that were leading this, the men in charge of leading uh, the nation of Israel back during this time was was a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was in the line of David. 
He was in the Davidic line. Certainly he was one of the ones that you would think that would lead the people back and lead this charge. And then there was a, a high priest by the name of Joshua. And these were the men that were leading the group of people back. But sadly, when they were allowed to return, the numbers were very underwhelming. Only about forty to 50,000 Jews decided to return to the land of promise when they were given a chance. See, most of the nation had grown comfortable living in Babylon. They had built houses, they had built businesses, they had a, they had a, a life, new friends, and, and we can go on, you know, you get, the, you get the picture, but they had become very comfortable living uh, outside of the will of God. They had been very comfortable living uh, uh, for other purposes besides that which God had in, intended for them, where they were supposed to be there worshiping God in the land of promise and, and being a light to the Gentile nations around them. Instead, they were like, hey, we're really comfortable here. In Zechariah, we follow the group that did return. They get back to the land of promise and, and they begin to, to, to rebuild the temple. They begin to start at the work. Of course, the Babylonians had left the place demolished. I mean, destroyed it. And, and so they get back and they, 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 no doubt there was a lot of zeal. No doubt there was a lot of excitement. It was the beginning of the work. But very quickly on, the progress stalled. Partly because it's a lot of hard work, <laughs> all right? Moving all them stones and, man, after a while, it just started, it started to dawn on people, man, this is going to be a lot harder than we thought. But there was an, also another reason for why the progress stalled, and that's because adversity began to happen. Gentile people and Gentile nations living around there began to attack the work of God and they began to resist and they began to undermine and, and send letters back to the authorities that, that be. And eventually the adversity was able to obtain a cease and desist letter from the powers that be. And the work of rebuilding the temple stopped. And for 16 years... Nothing was done. Nothing was done. The people had gone back to building houses for themselves, building businesses, living their lives. And yet right there is a giant eyesore right in the heart of Jerusalem. The temple sat a pile of rubble and ruin. And God didn't want that to happen. That wasn't what he intended. And so after a while, he said, okay, 16 years has been long enough. It's time to start stirring the pot a little bit. <laughs> and so to begin with, he sent a, a, a pretty rough character, a, man, a prophet by the name of Haggai, to get down in there. And Haggai, but he was one of those like John the Baptist-esque type of prophets. I could just see him in there. And I mean, this guy was, a, you know, he was overthrowing tables. And he was one of those guys that, you know, the kick in the seat of the pants type of prophet. And he said, look at you guys living in your sealed houses while the house of God uh, and the work of God is lying in rubble. What are you guys thinking? And sometimes we need those kind of prophets. Amen. And I, I just want to encourage you young people, uh, uh, don't, don't disregard a message because you don't like the messenger. <laughs> because God said, hey, the guy that I'm going to send to prepare the way of the Lord, it was John the Baptist and he wasn't a reed shaken in the wind. I highly doubt, in fact, as you read through John the Baptist, I, he never preached an alliterated outline. He never used a poem. I'm sure, I'm sure he could have improved his use of illustrations, but God said he's going to prepare the way. 
And Haggai came in and, and his message, you know, it riled some feathers. <laughs> now, a few months later, God sends Zechariah. Zechariah was a young man. He was only in his early to mid-20s. He was a priest and also a prophet. And, and his tone was a little bit different. He was an exhorter. He was an encourager. Uh, God gave him a unique message. The passage of scripture we're about to look at here as quickly as I possibly can <laughs> starts off with eight visions that God gave him in one night. Of course, later on in the book, as Zechariah is going to tell him, uh, great, great truths, great prophecies about the coming Messiah and the king and, and just a wonderful message uh, for God's people. But sadly, it didn't matter whether it was Haggai or Zechariah. We're going to find out that they didn't, they didn't listen to the message either way. And it was Jesus who, in the book of Matthew, when he was rebuking that generation, said, you do always kill the prophets. And he said, from Abel to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, that's the man we're talking about here. Whom ye slew, Jesus said, between the altar and the temple. The very temple that Zechariah's message was intended for them to get busy rebuilding would be the place where they would kill Zechariah because of their refusal to listen to his message. Interesting. Zechariah's name means the Lord will remember. Jehovah will remember. He was the son of Berechiah. Berechiah's name means the Lord will bless. And he was the grandson of a man, a prophet named Edu. And the, and the name Edu means in due time. And when you add that all together, you have the Lord will remember to bless in his time. In his time. Here Zechariah is and God gives him eight visions Eight things. And when you look at these visions in the Bible, it's important for us to remember that these uh, visions were intended for the nation of Israel. Uh, I had opportunity to preach verse by verse all the way through the book of Zechariah. It took me a year and a half, and I'm going to try to do it in about 25 minutes. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something. It's always important when you interpret the scriptures that you interpret them literally. These visions were given to the nation of Israel. They, they had a twofold purpose. The first purpose was the present day purpose. It was intended to encourage them to get busy about the work of God. These visions were given to them so that they might know that God wanted them to rebuild this temple. God wanted them to rebuild the nation of Israel. God intended for them to get busy about things that were more important than just their houses and their lives and their businesses. But a greater work, His work, but there was, a, there was a second purpose that God had in giving these visions, and that was to point to a greater time, to prophesy of future events and many prophecies about both the first and second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ are included in these eight visions of Scripture. Pretty, pretty exciting, but all of them dealing with the nation of Israel. In the beginning parts of these visions, the first several of these visions, it, it dealt with the present time primarily uh, with, a, with a glance towards the adversity that they would face in the future. In the latter half of these visions, we begin to, to get a look at, at, at the, what we would call the great tribulation time period of the second coming of Jesus. Great, great stuff in here and it correlates with the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. I just say all that to give myself a little caveat because some, some of the Bible teachers are in here. But each one of these visions that God gave them, each one of them was a lesson. There was a theme as I searched through these themes. And I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to preach on the first several of these. We'll get as far as we can. And then we'll draw an application because even though this was meant for Israel, we can draw an application. The interpretation, of course, is for Israel, but the application 
for us is something that we can learn. God wanted to remind them of these truths because if he would be reminded of these, then they would get busy about eternal things. They would get busy about the things of the Lord and they would get working for him and they would understand the importance of why we need to be working for the Lord. And so we begin in chapter number one. The first vision that Zacharias sees is a man on a horse. He's riding a red horse and behind him there were red horses speckled in white. When Zechariah inquires about this, he's told that these are they in verse number 10 of chapter one, whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And, and here the theme of this first vision is God's awareness God is showing Zechariah that he is aware of what's going on. He has angelic spirits, angelic messengers who are traveling the world around both to and fro. Uh, also, we know the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. But God has messengers that are, are, are going around the world to and fro, and they are reporting back to him. And the theme here and, and the truth that God is reminding his people is that God is aware of what's going on. God sees, God knows, uh, he's not up there surprised by what's happening. Now the report that comes back is that the whole world is at ease. Everybody's making money, everybody's living the good life, everybody's having a good time. Even the people of God had gotten comfortable outside the will of God. But there was a problem, and the problem was this. Even though the whole world was comfortable, God was upset. Now, what's fascinating about this is that when you follow these uh, uh, um, visions, these eight visions, they kind of operate like a clock. But when you get to the eighth vision, what you're going to find is that the whole world is in turmoil, but God is appeased. I tell you this much, friend. God is who matters in this life. God is who matters. And he's about ready to overturn the, uh, the apple cart, if you would. And he's not afraid to overturn the apple cart because it's his will that matters in this life. And we do well to remember that. God is aware. Friend, God knows what's going on in your life. God knows whether or not you're complacent. God knows whether or not you're at ease in Zion. He knows what kind of uh, trouble you're facing. He knows what your needs are and, and what your cares are and the desires of your heart. He knows the thoughts of your mind. God is aware of all of these things. Sometimes it's easy for us to think that God has forgotten us, but he has not. Amen? That's the first Theme. Let's move on to the second theme, the second vision. It's at the end of Zechariah chapter number one. And this is a, a twofold uh, vision. And, and the theme of this vision is God, uh, God's assurances. We find here, let me drop down here, a vision in verse number 19 to the end of the chapter. The first part is a vision of four horns. He said unto the angel that talked with me, what be these? And he answered me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah Israel and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. The first uh, part of this vision is this vision of these four horns. These four horns are God's assurances of adversity. Adversity. They represent the fact that when you set your hand to the plow, when you begin to work for God, you're going to face adversity. There are going to be those that are coming. God is just letting you know right now from the get-go that if you try to live for him and you try to serve him, it's not going to be a bed of roses, friend. It's not going to be a comfortable life. It's not going to be, you know, the, the songwriter, I think he put it, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others fought to win the prize. 
and sailed through bloody seas? You've got to get it through your mind right now. Jesus said, all they that will live godly shall suffer persecution. Away with this Christianity that is afraid of suffering. You've been watching, maybe, maybe you've heard about these Super Bowl commercials, and, and uh, they've been trying to talk about Jesus. It's almost as if these, these believers, and they may have been well-intentioned, but it's almost as if they, they, they think Jesus needs a PR department. Like somehow, if we just show the world how, how wonderful Jesus is, if we just paint a picture of Jesus that is, that is, is so... And, 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 and the problem is, is that they're, they're the, it's the wrong picture of Jesus. That's what the problem is. The people that ran these ads may be well-intentioned, but, 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 but Jesus doesn't need a PR department. The gospel's a stumbling block sometimes. And if we have one message to give to the world, if you have 30 seconds to tell somebody something about Jesus, should it not be that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again three days later? Is that not the message that will save their soul if they believe? I'm just trying to say that we've got to recognize as believers that we're going to face adversity. And that's what happened uh, to, the, to the children of Israel here, the, the Jews that had returned. They got back and they tried to restart the work. But then Rahim and Shimshay and a couple of these other men came in and began to fight uh, the work of God. And, and, and they prevailed because it's almost as if the people of God thought, oh, I, you know, if God's in it, then, then it must be easy. Later on, another wave of people would return, led by Ezra and Nehemiah. And sure enough, two more horns would appear in the form of Sanballat and Tobiah. And they would fight the work of God. And it just seems like down throughout the centuries, as God has a work to do, those that have put their hand to the plow have been met with adversity after adversity after adversity. Assurances of adversity, but that's only the first part, amen. Because the second part of the vision is God's assurances of assistance. You see, to combat these four horns, Zechariah sees a vision of four carpenters. These are skilled craftsmen. These are people that are gifted by the Holy Spirit of God. These are men along the way that God will send assistance at just the right time to combat uh, the, these, these, the, 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 those that would uh, uh, fight against the word of God. Look at verse 21. He says, then said I, what come these to do? I like that, don't you? <laughs> hey, who of these carpenters have showed up? What are they here to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them. Praise God. Now, you know, I'm, I'm a city slicker, but God planted me in the middle of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. It's the sticks. Let me just tell you, it's the sticks. Now, they, my church gets really, you know, they get all bent out of shape when I call that. But for a city slicker, you know, going to P- Pennsylvania was, was like sending me out in the boonies. It was, it was something else. I remember the first Friday night I was there, it was about 9 o'clock, and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go buy some tires. So I left and searched high and low. I couldn't find a place that was open. I, I remember calling her. I'm like, I can't believe this. It's 9 o'clock on a Friday night. And nobody's open so I can buy some tires. I had a lot to learn about Pennsylvania. 
But, you know, I, 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 I say this to say that, you know, I got, I've been introduced to hunting and, man, a lot of hunters this Saturday. We're having our sportsman's banquet and, man, it's already packed out. We're already packed at capacity. They love, and that word fray, you know, they, they realize that the word fray is like when, it, when, a, when a deer rubs its antlers. They get that velvet on it and it will it'll rub that off, rub that velvet off, if you would. And God says, look, the horns are going to come and they're going to fight the work of God, but I'm going to send assistance. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to fray those horns. They're going to they're rub, you know. And I, and I think about the greatest adversity that we have as Christians coming from none other than, than Satan himself, who the Bible says that he walketh about as a roaring lion. But you know what? God will send assistance, and that assistance will just rub that lion. Uh, it'll just rub him the wrong way. Amen? That's what we're called to do. So God gives assurances here. But then we see the third vision. The third vision found in chapter number 2, the theme of the third vision is action. Zechariah sees a man with a measuring line in his hand. These measuring lines were used for two purposes. They, would, they were like a tape measure, but they were also like a plumb line, something that was meant to, to get it started and to keep the work of God straight. Uh, and so we could see that they could measure. And here Zechariah sees a man. I believe this is uh, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ that Zechariah sees in this vision that night. And, uh, and, and we read in verse number two, Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said, said unto me to measure Jerusalem to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth and another went, another angel went out to meet him and said unto him, run, speak to this young man saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. So Zechariah sees a man there on top of the temple mount, I believe. And, and uh, the, the man is holding a tape measure. And uh, the angels go to meet this man, and the man says, no, I'll call that young man over here. The Lord Jesus Christ wanted Zechariah to come. Zechariah comes over, and uh, the theme here is action. Action, it was time to get started. It was time to get the project going. All right, God, God wanted uh, the work to get started, and God is a God of action, friend, is he not? Does he not tell us not to love just in word or in tongue, but indeed, does he not say, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only? It, faith without works is dead. God is a God who wants us to take action. Well, yes, it's good that we get the, to, to, to walk with the Lord. Yes, it's good that we have a relationship with God, but we also have a mission from God. Amen? And in fact, the Bible says, Jesus says, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. There's something that you can learn from Jesus only by working with him. I look around these buildings. Man, the hours that I spent helping. And you know what I remember the most about them? I don't remember the projects all that much, but I remember the men that I worked with. I remember the fellowship. You get to know a guy when you work with him. Brother Smith's back here. He was at our church just a couple weeks before COVID hit. And he helped us on some construction projects in our building. I remember working with him, just the two of us, all right, on that building. You get to learn a lot about a guy when you work with him. And I've thought over and over again how special it must have been for Zachariah that night as he and Jesus went around Jerusalem measuring yeah, this is, this is where the new temple's going to be. 
This is where the, the, the pool of water is going to flow out that's going to heal the earth. This is, this is where this is going to remain. This is where this miracle is going to be done. Uh, my mind, in my mind's eye, I can see Jesus taking Zechariah to the very place where he would hang on that old rugged cross and say, hey, this is where I'm going to make the payment that is going to take care of sin. And, and what a special privilege that night to hold the other end of the line. Have you ever tried to measure something by yourself with a tape measure you know I have it works all right if you're just doing like a little tiny thing but if you're trying to like measure a, a distance you know it's <laughs> you know it always works better if you have somebody I'm told in the construction uh you know they they have what they call the dummy end you can guess which end that is right that's the end I was always holding all you have to do is that where where right there all right I'll hold it right there so it's like working with the Lord, amen? He does all the heavy lifting. You can read chapter 2 and God lays out the phases of the construction project. Every good construction project has phases. and There's three phases in chapter 2 that are laid out. The first phase is the rebuilding phase. God wanted the temple rebuilt. Somebody had to start clearing out the stones. Somebody had to pick up a shovel. Somebody had to pick up a broom and get to work. I'm told that after 9-11, before a nation could begin healing, they had to get in there and they had to remove the rubble from the destruction. 92 million tons of debris had to be removed from that site. Praise the Lord, not a single life was lost in the cleanup. But, but it was one of the most important steps before a nation could begin to heal somebody had to start moving some stones somebody had to say I'm going to go out and I'm going to work for Jesus the second phase was the regathering phase. God was supernaturally going to regather Israel from the four corners of the world. And the third phase was the restoring of the presence of God. God says I'm going to dwell amongst my people again. That brings me then to the next vision in chapter number three. Praise the Lord I'm getting excited already. The vision in chapter number three, the theme is atonement. This vision here is God saying, hey, I'm going to take care of the sin problem. My friend, don't ever get over the fact that when God saw a barrier between man, that God himself provided a lamb that God said I'm going to take care of the sin problem and it's a wonderful picture I wish I had all the time in the world to delve in to chapter number three it's a picture from the day of atonement that special day when the high priest would put on the linen garments at first those were not the 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 the, the you know pretty and, and fancy robes these were just the plain clothes it's a picture of Jesus Christ being veiled in a garment of flesh and he would offer up the offerings and when he was done those linen and garments would be filthy they would be covered with blood and dirt from the animal sacrifice but then later on in the day of atonement the high priest would go in and he would take off the dirty garments and then he would put on uh, the, the righteous garments and he would put on the robes and the, uh, the ornamental uh, pieces that God had given in the, in the law and he would put on the miter that said holiness to the Lord and what a picture it's all about Jesus and it's all about him taking care of the problem between God and man sin Jesus is the answer friend to the sin problem and praise the Lord what a, what a picture it is of the atonement of Jesus Christ and you read through this chapter and you see three results of the atonement of Jesus Christ the first result is this Satan is silenced 
Boy, Satan's standing there and he's wanting to accuse the high priest Joshua. But you read it and he cannot say a word. Praise the Lord because of what Jesus did for you and me. There is no condemnation now to them that are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Hallelujah. I get excited. It's a great day to be saved. There's nothing that can be brought up against a child of God. Because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, it is under the blood. And I don't care how bad a day we go through, what a wonderful, wonderful privilege to know that all of our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. We see the second result in this chapter is that sinners are sanctified. And the Lord says, see those dirty garments? Take off those dirty garments. Bring out the clean. And Zechariah is there and he's like, don't forget the miter. Bring out the miter too. And you know, on the front of that miter, it said, holiness to the Lord. You and I, all throughout the New Testament, we're not called sinners. We're called saints. We're called beloved We're called more than conquerors. Are you with me, friend? I'm telling you what, because of the result, because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, not only is Satan silent, but sinners are sanctified. And I'll tell you the third thing as you read through there, the Bible says that salvation is simplified. God says in one day, in one day, all the sin is going to be removed. And 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to that old rugged cross, in one day, He offered himself as the sacrifice. He ended all other sacrifices. Aren't you so glad? I love being able to preach the gospel. I tell people all the time, you can walk out those doors today and know that you're saved because salvation is not a lifetime process. Salvation is not something that takes months and months or years and years or keeping of sacraments and and doing right over and over and over again. Salvation is simple. You can kneel at the cross and trust Jesus Christ and you can walk away being saved and know it. Hallelujah. And that brings me then finally to the end. And that is the one I wanted to preach on, the message that I had. And didn't leave myself any time to get to. In verse number one, you'll see that Zechariah was asleep. And he has to be awakened. And by the way, this is an important picture. Because immediately, well, I say shortly after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the nation of Israel was given over to a spirit of slumber, Romans chapter number 11. There's a gap here in time. When God puts Israel on the shelf, we call it the church age. It's a dispensational view here of Scripture. Zechariah was asleep, just like the nation of Israel is asleep at this moment. And they won't be awakened until the rapture of the church happens. And then the things that we read about in the book of Revelation will be set in motion. And that's the comparison here. The the cross-reference for this chapter is two olive trees is Revelation chapter number 11 when God sends two witnesses to the nation of Israel empowered by his Holy Spirit of God. It's the second coming of the Holy Spirit. See, when the trumpet of the Lord sounds and the church is taken out, the Holy Spirit will be removed. But the Holy Spirit is going to be sent back. Revelation 11 during the Great Tribulation And he's going to empower the the nation of Israel. He's going to protect the nation of Israel, particularly these two witnesses that God has. But here there's a message. Here there's a point. The, The theme of this fourth vision is anointing. It's anointing. And we read the verses. He said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. 
You're going to do the work of God. You're going to have to do it in the power of his Holy Spirit. There's just no way around it. You cannot do it. I cannot do it in our flesh. And Zerubbabel was sitting there and God said, you, you got a message. He says, not by might. The Hebrew word there means the strength of many. And God is addressing this idea. No doubt that Zerubbabel had in his mind that thought, man, if more people would have just come back, we would have been able to get this work done. Man, if we had just had a few more choir members, if we had just had some more Sunday school teachers, man, if we would have just had a few more big givers in the church, what we might have accomplished for Jesus. Boy, if we had just had more people, more craftsmen, more hands to put to the work, then maybe the, the work of God could have been done. And God came down with a message and said, Zachariah, not by might. I can say by many or by few, praise the Lord. I don't need great numbers. You know, this is the thinking that has crept into the church today that somehow if we could just fill, fill stadiums full of people that we might be able to accomplish the work of God. My friend, all it takes is one person who is willing to do it in the power of God's Holy Spirit. We are hurting today not because we lack numbers. We are hurting today because we lack the Holy Spirit of God and a reliance on him and a communion with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. He said, not by might, nor by power. The Hebrew word for there is the power or strength of one. And here, God's message to Zerubbabel, he's addressing this line of thinking that somehow if I were just better, if I would have been more like Moses... And maybe if I would have been more dynamic like Elijah, David might have been able to get this work done. Are you with me? Or, or, or maybe Joshua, that great uh, leader who brought the people into the land of Israel. If I would have been more like him, or if I'd have been more talented or more gifted, then maybe I could have been, if I would have been a better leader, this work would have been done. And God came down with the message and said, no, we're not hurting because we don't have uh, beautiful musicians anymore. We're not hurting the church of God is not hurting because we lack eloquence in our pulpits or because we lack some kind of gifted teachers in our Sunday school uh, classes. We are hurting today because the Holy Spirit of God is neglected. That's why. He says, who hath despised the day of small things? And young people, as you get out into the ministry, don't you overlook the small things. Every work of God starts small. And some stay small. The size doesn't matter to God. Obedience is what matters. But every work of God, I, I loved walking and looking at these pictures. Fairhaven wasn't always this. There was a time when it met in a, in a restaurant. There was a time when it met in a lodge. There was a time when the people of God had to sweep out the beer cans and set up the chairs. But if you despise the day of small things, you'll miss out on the blessing of God the Holy Spirit of God. And there were some people that came in there and they looked and they thought, there's no way we're going to be able to build a temple as beautiful as Solomon's. And the Bible tells us that there were some who had seen Solomon's temple that when they saw this temple, they wept while others rejoiced. But that didn't mean that God didn't want this work done. He gave clear instruction. It doesn't matter if we can't build a church like Harold Seitler built a church or, or, or a church the size of, uh, of some of the great men in the past doesn't matter. There may be people around in our churches who remember those days. But God still wants his work to go forward, friend. Don't you despise the day of small things. When we first came to Gospelite Baptist Church, it was small. It was really small. And the building had flooded and had sat in that condition for years. 
It smelled like mildew. It looked like a funeral home from the 1970s. There were five people there. I, I have found the letter uh, a couple months ago. It said, you received five out of five votes. I framed it 100% of the vote. Two of them were dying of cancer when they cast that vote. We went down to three right off the bat in a building that was reeking of mildew. My wife told me the first Sunday, she said, if I wasn't the pastor's wife, I wouldn't come back. It stunk. It was scary. And, you know, we had no money. We had no support. Uh, originally had moved our, our midweek service from Wednesday to Thursday with the idea I would run around uh, on Wednesdays and try to raise support. But God never gave us any, any peace to do that, and we, so we didn't. I'm not against raising support. It just wasn't the path for us. We couldn't even afford to put an ad in the paper with, you know, listing our churches with all the other churches. I called. I tried to do everything. We are ordering the free gospel tracts that we could off the Internet, stamping them, doing all those things that you do, thinking, how in the world? In Lancaster County, a county that was older than the nation, been established, the Mennonite Church was, was celebrating their 300th anniversary our first week, our first month. In Lancaster County, Amish, Mennonite, brethren, Catholic, established, established. I didn't know the area. I was a kid from Chicago. It's kind of like Zerubbabel. What kind of name is that? It means child of Baal. Like, you know, if, I, if you'd have just had a better name, he might have got a better turnout. And here I am with the name of Almanza in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I introduce myself, people say, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> um, and I, I just share this, not to, not to brag, but it's just, it seemed humanly impossible. Humanly impossible. No human resources whatsoever. And yet, God had a work that needed to be done. He said, go. And it wasn't Andy Almanza's work. If I challenge you with anything this morning, I would say this. How can you call something the work of God if God is not the one doing the work? That's my challenge to you this morning. If it's God's word, then God must be the one doing the work through his spirit. You and I, we just need to be obedient. We just need to be obedient. He'll do the work. He'll do all the heavy lifting. And one by one in our church today, we got four men right now down in Mexico City with Brother Reardon, as I mentioned, given to missions. We've been operating at 100% capacity at our building for almost two years straight. The parking lot is kind of like that, those games where, you know, you have the little cars and you got to move them around. And that's our, that's our parking lot every Sunday morning, trying to get in and out of it. We've got former Mennonite, we've got former Amish, we've got former Brethren, we've got former Methodists, we've got former Pentecostals, we've got former atheists, we have former homosexuals, we have former uh, agnostics in our church. Just a hodgepodge of people. My wife looked at me and she's like, there's hardly any independent Baptists in this church <laughs> except us. <laughs> Blood-bought, born-again believers. You say, how did it happen? I, I don't even know. I couldn't explain it to you other than not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. All of that through COVID, 
the camps, the ministry opportunities. We go into our public schools every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We pick up kids and bring them to our church. On Tuesday nights, we Millersville University is right there. We have 28 students coming to a Bible study at Millersville University. Kids are, uh, I say kids, sorry. College students have been getting saved and baptized and they're running our sound booth and, and they're coming and they're street preaching with me on the streets of Lancaster County. You say, how does that happen? I don't know other than not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. If God's taught me anything in these six years is that you don't need Sunday school teachers, even though God will use them in a mighty way. I'm not against Sunday school, but we, we had no children's ministries. We had no music ministry. I had a meeting with Pastor Volan before the chapel here. We're trying to get our choir. We, 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 for a long time, Anna will tell you, we, we struggled. We didn't even have a pianist. We'd be singing out of the hymnal. By the way, we did all with the King James Bible and dress standards and all this stuff that, 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 that come on now. We're going to have to compromise to see God do a work in important issues like this. I'm already over time, but I, that just hit my, phone, hit my brain. I'll tell you one last story, then we'll close. I'm sorry, brother, I'm over time. Let me tell you one last story. There, I, I, I was bivocational. I told you I couldn't raise support. And so I was driving truck. I was working full-time, preaching all the services, going soul winning. And people started getting saved. We started discipling them. There was even less time for soul winning. You know, it was just you know, it was wonderful. But there, I, I got a job working for the school district delivering lunches. I was crisscrossing Lancaster City, delivering lunches to all the schools. And, and one of the custodians at one of the schools was a retired Baptist preacher. And uh, I always looked forward to getting there to, to that school. He would always come out to the truck, help me unload all of the carts and the trays. And we used to have sweet fellowship in the Lord. We used to pray together. I told him about the work that was going on. Every week I would give him a report. And we, it was just wonderful. It was just going great. And the fellowship and the prayers that we would have and so on and so forth. And then one day we were talking. I forget how it came up. It was just inadvertent. But he found out that I only use the King James Bible. And I'll never forget his reaction. He was just like, what? You're one of those? And I was just like, we can still be friends. Like, it's still me. And then he asked me this. He goes, you mean to tell me that you're seeing all these people get saved and you're seeing this work grow? And you're using the King James Bible? He had, he had embraced this idea somehow that it only in order to see a work of God, you know, you, you had to leave the old paths. Or you had to use a certain version of the Bible. Or you had to use, a, you know, or whatever it might be. But, but in order to build a church, somehow you had to compromise in all these different areas. And he just couldn't get it through his mind like somehow God could still do a work using this book right here. And I told him this, and I, I don't think the, I, this ain't the problem, friend. I'll stand by this book. But even if you thought this book was a problem, don't you serve a God who can overcome that? Isn't your God big enough to overcome the hymnal if you think the hymnal's a problem? Like how big of God do we have? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Young people, God has a work to be done. He has a work to be done. I wish I could go through the rest of the visions with you, but I don't have time. One day Jesus is coming. At the end of this night, 
the end of this night of visions, there's a coronation of the king. It's a coronation of the king. Jesus is coming. Let's get busy about the word. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would deal with hearts and lives, Lord, and be a blessing. Please, Lord, I, the time got away from me. God, I pray that you'd forgive me for that.